events as they occur don't come in with the clarity of a history book. How do you watch a war? I'm serious. I don't know how to do it. I'm Scott Ott with Stephen Green and Bill Whittle. This episode of Right Angles brought to you by the members at BillWhittle.com. And gentlemen, I find myself getting increasingly frustrated as the days go by following the Russian invasion of Ukraine in my inability to be able to sift through uh, what they used to call the fog of war, which is essentially all the lies that are told in the course of early coverage and reportage and gossip about the war. Um, You know, most of the news networks have gone to -to wall-to-wall coverage, except for MSNBC, which when I flipped over to watch them, they were all excited about the fact that a black woman has been nominated as a Supreme Court justice. I'm still waiting for them to do coverage about what she believes or her record or anything like that. But almost everywhere else I turned, it was nonstop war coverage. And um, and Stephen Green, I know that you're a lot more tapped into the to the news feed, so to speak, and and to the the Twitter feed and and the way that 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 stories come to us now through social media and through broadcast and through you know blogs like the one you participate in. Um, but I've found uh, that so much of what stirs me initially, the stories that get to me uh, later turn out to be questionable, if not outright false um, or unprovably true or false. Um, Have you found a way to be able to kind of keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with this war without uh, just getting completely depressed about the fact that you don't really know that you know anything? Uh, Yes and no. Uh, Yes, I have. No, it is not entirely reliable and is woefully incomplete because that's the nature of war. Uh, and it's it's very interesting now because there's so much social media. You know, if uh, if Russia could have shut down Ukraine's cell service and Internet connectivity in the opening moments of the battle, they would have. Uh, their inability to do that means that we get all of these really cool videos that are fun to watch. How much they actually tell us, uh, that's where judgment comes in. Like the, the stories of the, uh, the, what, the ghost of Kiev, the the pilot Ukrainian MiG-29 pilot who supposedly shot down five Soviet or <laughs> old habits yeah. uh, five Russian planes and now I think it's six Russian planes um I called BS on that one uh, I did a big roundup on uh the Ukraine war on Monday this is Tuesday and I just I didn't mention it it, it didn't pass the sniff test uh the other one was the uh the story of the a dead Chechen general who'd been killed in the invasion. The Russians actually have Chechen units of Chechens commanded by Chechens because it really fears fighters. And there was a bit of propaganda going around that uh, all you Chechens should go home because we killed your general. In fact, I think the line in the propaganda piece was the best of you died when the Russians crushed Grozny. The worst of you are here. Go Mm. home. Wow. Which is lovely propaganda, but again, I took the thing about the dead Chechen general with a, a grain of salt. That that struck me as propaganda. Uh, what you can get is takes a little prep work. Um, yeah, I was a big Cold War kid. I'm a European history nut. I'm a military history nut. So I've got a lot of this stuff kind of pre-programmed in. And it was pretty obvious to me. Well, number one, I didn't think Putin would actually pull the trigger on war because it looked to me that with enough bluff and bluster, he yeah. could get most of what he wanted out of Joe Biden. He just needed to, to get him to the negotiating table. And that's where things looked to be going until early last week or mid last week. Anyway, now early. Um, 
but it, it was obvious from what little we knew of the deployments and from the opening actions that Putin was basically counting on uh, Operation Desert Saber. That was the ground campaign in Iraq in 1991 that took 96 hours. He was counting on a decapitation strike in, in Kiev and to take the city quickly and to essentially have the war over, I would have to say by Saturday or Sunday, to present the West with a fait accompli and what are you going to do now? I've got it. Yeah, you'll put some sanctions on me, but we'll get back to regular business here in the next couple of years and everything will be fine. When that failed, and Bill in uh, Scott's other segment this week has some lovely things to say about uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky and how his actions, how his bravery has inspired the nation. So please watch that segment. When that didn't happen, and what was supposed to be a four or five day war is now turning into something much longer, much more difficult and more expensive. That didn't just galvanize the people of Ukraine. It galvanized the men of the West. Well, actually, the men and women of the West. We have leaders of, of both genders now, both two genders now. And <laughs> Russia is facing uh, an economic situation unlike anything I don't think they've faced since about 1943. Uh, it's 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 really going to be that bad for them. And the reason for that is their plan failed to execute. And this is what I keep in mind when I'm looking at these various TikTok videos, these YouTube videos, uh, uh, Twitter videos and all the rest is based on what we knew, how much of what we are seeing e either confirms that, uh, denies it or just doesn't fit it at all. And. I'm afraid the uh, the only way to, to get to that point, or at least the way I got to that point, was just to read a whole lot of boring crap your whole life. So I apologize if that's not very helpful. Bill Whittle, uh, when I was a kid, or at least a young adult, I if you saw something interesting on the evening news, you might talk about it the next day at the office, but beyond the, you know, the bounds of your own house, there was typically not much of a way for you to disseminate that news. But when something shows up on a social media feed now, that can immediately be retweeted. And if you've got a bunch of followers, all of a sudden hundreds or thousands of people know about this. And I've watched, especially on Twitter, you see this more um, more prominent, um, is that a video will come out. Somebody will say what it's a video of. It'll immediately get circulated. And then the next thing you know, your feed is filled up with nothing but that video as people retweet and retweet and retweet that video. And then later on, you find out, oh, well, that, that video was not even shot in Ukraine. It's uh, from some previous thing somewhere else. And um, so I think the average person who obviously has a healthy interest in what's going on with a situation like this faces uh, seemingly insurmountable obstacles in gathering factual information about it. How do you cope with this yourself, Bill? Well, if the question is, how do you watch a war? Uh, there's a lot to say about that, but I would say the first thing is not obsessively. I, I remember during the Gulf War when CNN was really just starting, I just I had it on 24-7 yeah. because we were launching these airstrikes and the planes are coming back. Did we succeed? Did we not succeed? When you're dealing with something like this, there are probably three or four solid pieces of information that come out a day. That's one every six hours as a general rule. And in in the course of that six hours, you will hear them talking about the same thing. It's like watching in search of it's a half an hour of buildup and then there's nothing there at the end. So I would just say check in twice. You know, that would be my first advice. Um, 
as far as the fake stuff goes, I think in in the world of today, my attitude is I'm going to assume that everything comes out of there is is potentially fake, but some of it is undoubtedly true. And so I'm not going to build a foundation on anything. However, when I see trends, when I see multiple multiple things from different people that are going in the same direction, then I can have a little more confidence in it. Uh, it my show about morale, what we what we've seen from multiple sources is the Ukrainian people stepping up, and we've also seen from multiple sources uh, the the Russians underperforming for any number of reasons. But ultimately, to answer your question, Scott, uh, we we I think our 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 business about how do we how do we watch a war is is a much deeper one. Um, I need to know what's really going on in the world, and I need to be emotionally and mentally prepared for it. And the only way you can prepare yourself for an emergency is to train yourself in advance. So all of that to say that occasionally during the last couple of weeks, I have gone to see what you don't see on Twitter. And just to give you one example, uh, I saw a Ukrainian woman who was uh, lying in a doorway groaning and her right foot was gone. And the camera followed the blood trail for like an incredible distance, like 50 yards, just, 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 just like this, you know, and walking through, and then up against a wall by a stairway is her foot, and the woman later died of this. That's what war really looks like. That's what it really is. When you see a strike or you see burned out tanks, that's one thing. When you see when you see the crew members who've been burned to a crisp, that's something else. And and here's the conflict for me. On one level, I think the American people really need to see the reality of what reality is and that so much of the of the nonsense that we go through is a product of the fact that we don't see reality as reality is. The thing about 9-11 that was so stunning to Americans was it was uncensored. It was real time. They didn't edit out the bodies falling off the tower. They didn't edit anything. Did you saw reality in real time. And you've never seen it since then either, by the way. Um and so, so that aspect of it makes me want everybody to have to see this stuff. And at the same time, at the same time, I'm extremely grateful that I live in a country where children don't have to walk past dead bodies and see people with their heads blown off. I think it's, I think it's good that they don't have to see these things. So on some level, I almost kind of wish that on your 18th birthday or something, somebody would basically tie you down and say, here's what reality looks like now that you're old enough to, to, to deal with it. Strangely enough, the only thing I can think of that comes close to this is when I was in high school in 1976-77, they had driver's education classes. And as part of the driver's education classes, they ran these 16 millimeter films that were collectively known as Hamburger on the Highway and mechanized death and things like this. And it's and it's actual footage of people who had died in car accidents designed to scare the living daylights out of you uh, as, as a young driver. Well, it worked. It, it really worked. And. And on some level. The more you sanitize the, the war. The, the, the more dangerous things become, right? The people in Ukraine now don't get a sanitized version of this. They're walking past bodies on the street everywhere they go. And, and if the Ukrainian invasion has done anything to America, it's to reintroduce this idea of reality being 
often unpleasant, and it's a lot more unpleasant than we think it is just by watching TV. Uh, I don't want to brutalize society, but I don't want a naive one either. There's a an old joke by Stephen Wright that he walks up to a convenience store and just as he's reaching for the door handle, the, the manager inside the store is locking the door and he yells through the glass door and says, it says open 24 hours. And the manager says, not in a row. And that's what I forget about CNN or Fox News or any of these 24-7 news uh, organs. They're on 24 hours, but they don't have 24 hours worth of content. A lot of times they have about 22 minutes worth of content <laughs> that they recycle over and over again. They show the same video and then maybe they'll bring in a different panel of people to talk about the video that you've just seen for the 12th time. They think, CNN thinks, I'm going to tune out after less than a half an hour. And so the whole new audience comes in and they're doing the show again, basically. So that's why at the bottom and top of every hour, they can say, we have breaking news now with fresh video. This happened just minutes ago. And then they show you the video that you just saw three times over the last hour and a half, you know, or more. And they loop it while people are talking. So you're constantly watching the same video because that's all they have. And and they're just trying to do the best they can with what they have. Um, and so the first thing I would say is that I'm learning in this process of how to watch a war is part of what Bill said is kind of take it in small doses. You know, maybe do a half an hour with the TV news if you must, uh, but then step away from it. Uh, if you still want to get something, read something, maybe get a, a piece that is not so breaking news, you know, yesterday's story from the Wall Street Journal or whatever. So you can read that and get a little bit of context. Uh, you know, Steve uh, indicates that he's been a, a great reader of history and so is, is Bill. Take a little time to maybe understand that if you want to get a hold of a good book about Ukraine and start studying that or about Russian geopolitics and strategy and war you know, and try to lay the foundation for a better understanding of what's going on. Otherwise, at least for me, you're just going to frustrate yourself. You're just going to be constantly thinking, okay, they, they make it seem like something just happened again, but they don't have anything to tell me about what just happened. Meanwhile, you know stuff is just happening. You just don't see it. And so you keep hanging in there thinking, oh, it's, it's coming up any minute. They certainly have new video. I mean, they blew up that TV tower like 35 times in the last couple of minutes. <laughs> it's the same TV tower. Um, and so, you, you know, just kind of pace yourself, take it in small chunks, diversify the content that you consume, including written content, uh, stuff that you can read, check in with a, a streaming uh, news feed service like Twitter every once in a while. Um, and probably more than anything is what I'm, what I'm learning in this is trust no one. And I don't mean that as an insult. I don't mean that there are reporters out there trying to give us false information. I just think that a lot of what's coming in, in that is the immediate first draft of history, so to speak, is going to turn out to be inaccurate, is going to turn out to be from sources that, that didn't have the full story but thought that they did, or that didn't have the full story and wanted you to think that they did. And so, you know, you just got to kind of take everything with a grain of salt and hold the information lightly in your hand and let it fly away if it's, it appears to be false. Just let it go. Um, I, I probably should not watch as much of this or read as much about this as, um, as I have been. And I'd like to say that I'm going to make some sort of commitment not to. That's probably not true. I, I feel almost a compulsion um, 
to be tuned in to what is going on in what I think is a, a pivotal moment in history. And um, I want, in a sense, to be able to tell my grandchildren uh, what happened as, as the fog of war was overtaking us now that they have the context of, of 20 years after. Um, I want them to get a sense so that when they face a challenge going forward, they'll understand that events as they occur don't come in with the clarity of a history book um, or, or, or a documentary that you can look at years later that's based on a lot of research. So as a journalist at heart, um, I'm addicted to this stuff. I want to know. Um, but as somebody who doesn't want to go absolutely stark raving mad and does need to get some sleep, um, I need to balance that with uh, some restraint, some diversity, some willingness to be able to put things down for a little while and step away from the tube. For Bill Whittle and Stephen Green, I'm Scott Ott. Thanks to the members at BillWhittle.com for making Right Angle possible. 